Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care is a program of the Avoiding Drugs as Chemical Restraints Consumer Education Campaign, a partnership of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care and AARP Foundation. In this discussion with Sam Brooks and Lori Smetanka, We'll talk about the results of an informal survey Consumer Voice conducted with family members on the impact of the nursing home lockdowns on residents, and Consumer Voice's call to safely reopen facilities so that families can provide necessary care and support to residents. In this episode, we will also hear from Annette Keener about her experience with her husband, Daniel. Annette is a family member directly impacted. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, a podcast where we talk about issues of importance to residents and consumers receiving long-term care and services and um, talk about those issues and some of the ways to get quality long-term care. I'm Lori Smetanka, the Executive Director of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. And today we are going to be talking about the devastating effects of lockdowns on residents of long-term care facilities during COVID-19. So just about a year ago, on March 13th, 2020, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued a lockdown order that banned everyone except essential personnel from entering nursing homes. That was as a result of COVID spreading very rapidly through nursing homes and long-term care facilities. And during that time, it meant that no family members were able were able to enter, um, no other visitors, even state surveyors who check for the quality of long-term care and long-term care ombudsmen who advocate for residents. They also were prevented from entering nursing homes for the most part during that timeframe. So during that time, Um, We at the Consumer Voice, we were very worried about what was happening within the long-term care facilities. We had been hearing stories from residents, from family members, from staff themselves, and even from ombudsmen about um, conditions in the nursing homes, um, short staff, which is normally a problem from our perspective in long-term care facilities. They don't usually have enough staff. And we were hearing exacerbated concerns about um, the short staffing that was occurring during during COVID. So we were really worried about what was happening with residents. Many of them not only were um, isolated from family members, but they were having to stay in their rooms, not able to go out to the dining room, for example, for congregate meals or for activities. Um, People were having to go in and help them with um, eating if they needed assistance. And um, with the short staffing, the lack of um, support that was being given from family members, again, we were really worried about what was happening. So um, in 2020, um, there was a slut in September of 2020, there was a new set of guidance that was issued as um, some of the uh, COVID infections were decreasing at that time, which permitted some very limited visits to nursing homes uh, residents across the country. And um, at that point, it it had been about six months since most family members had seen their loved ones in person. Um, While there were some attempts to assist people to do um, video conferencing or phone calls that didn't work for everyone. And so not all family members were able to stay connected or even talk to or see their loved ones during the previous six months. So when the visitations restricted restrictions, 
relaxed just very slightly, we started asking for information about what loved ones were seeing when they went back into nursing homes. Um, when they saw their loved ones for the first time, what was their condition? What, um, what was their abilities? Um, what were they, what, what did they see when they went back in? And so today, um, Sam Brooks, who is program manager with us here at the Consumer Voice and who um, led a project uh, where we actually put out a survey to family members asking what they had been seeing in long-term care facilities. Uh, we're going to talk about the survey and the findings um, and, and then end with some recommendations on uh, what we think should be happening to reunite um, residents and family members and get good care for nursing home residents. So hi, Sam. Welcome. Hi, Lori. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here today. This was a really important um, project and a real, really important set of information that we were trying to gather during that time last fall um, because we were really concerned based on what we had been hearing from um, family members. So could you kind of set up a little bit about what some of the things were that we had been hearing and, and then talk about the survey? Sure. Um, right from the get-go, I mean, we were quite concerned, as you said, because of the pre-existing short staffing issues. And as we, uh, we speak with a lot of families and residents, um, but right away um, we started to hear from family members who were quite concerned about their loved ones. They had limited abilities to communicate with them. For instance, they would use uh, electronic communication, say an iPad. And during those visits um, there, they were oftentimes observing loved ones who, um, you know, really had declined either physically, they looked different physically, a lot of weight loss, um, or um, they seemed despondent, depressed, in some instances suicidal. And we were also hearing lots of stories about people being harmed, um, mm -hmm. people ending up um, in hospitals with bed sores and uh, pressure ulcers, excuse me, and uh, falls. And um, so we really expected that there was a lot, um, a lot of bad things going on, unfortunately. Uh, so we really wanted, once we saw families slowly, as you said, begin to meet with their loved ones, we wanted to see um, what they were finding. Um, and unfortunately, as you said, it really confirmed that our, our survey really confirmed our, our worst um, our, our worst suspicions that um, people, residents were, were, were struggling significantly um, in a variety of ways and continue to today. And uh, so, although it's nice to have the report out to, to get it out to folks, it's also a harsh reminder of just how um, devastating these lockdowns have been um, for many, many residents. Absolutely. Um, some of the stories we heard from family members really were very heartbreaking, I, I know, and I know you talked with a number of them, um, even after some of the survey results had come in. Um, so talk a little bit about what some of the questions were that we asked in the survey. What were the things that we were looking for? Sure. Well, I mean, we obviously wanted to gauge the most obvious things such as um, physical appearance, physical decline, uh, uh, the demeanor of the residents, say, for instance, their, their mental status. Just um, kind of we looked, we asked about uh, whether, um, you know, if, if folks were experiencing cognitive decline, um, you know, problems with memory, um, or to seeming uh, disoriented, and also, unfortunately, real depression um, of mm -hmm. being isolated. Um, and so we asked questions such as, did you notice a, um, regarding physical issues, did, did you notice a physical um, decline or an improvement? Because um, we wanted to gauge that as well. Right, um, that's right. Um, in, in your, in your uh, loved one. 
And um, did you notice, uh, so we, we asked about appearance and we also asked about functionality um, for physical, um, you know, for physical abilities. And then we asked about, again, mental, mental um, you know, demeanor um, and how um, residents appeared. Um, and then we also asked questions. We had been hearing a lot of stories about uh, uh, lost, um, lost possessions, you know, having to replace eyeglasses several times, sometimes having to replace um, hearing aids three or four times right. um, or wedding rings. And so we wanted to see if what folks, you know, if they were noticing that when they met with their loved ones. And we also wanted to get gauged as to what was going on in the facility. Did you notice, did it seem like there was enough staff or were staff wearing PPE? So those are really the questions we asked um, and uh, that, that people were responding to. Right. And um, PPE for our listeners who don't know what that is, is uh, yeah, the sure. protective um, equip, the protective gear that people can use to help like the gowns and the masks that uh, gloves that they can use to help protect themselves from um, the virus and from the spread of infection. So, um, right, because, you know, the stories were, were telling us that, you know, significant weight loss, um, limited staff availability, families that weren't there to be able to help um, were, were truly having an impact. And we wanted to know, since there were no outside eyes, I guess, uh, in terms of what was happening in these facilities, we wanted to know exactly what was going on. So, um, so interesting questions, certainly that were being asked. Um, so can you talk a little bit about some of the findings? Um, so that we started to get when the results from, from the surveys, the, the family members started responding to the survey. Sure. Um, you know, you can start with, um, you know, some of the physical, um, responses about physical, um, you know, how they, how their residents seem physically. And overwhelmingly, unfortunately, the responses were um, that there had been significant decline. I mean, 85% of um, families who responded noticed the decline in physical abilities. Um, and that could, and we also asked for, you know, them to describe it. And that could be, you know, my mom or my father could get up and out of bed prior to uh, the, the pandemic. And now they're confined to a wheelchair or they need assistance um, even getting out of bed. Um, mm -hmm. and, 87% noticed a decline in physical appearance. And this was often weight loss, significant weight loss. We're talking about 30, 40, 50 pounds um, of weight loss in just a, you know, in just a, a four or five month period. Um, Which is tremendous. I mean, it's yeah, a tremendous uh, weight loss in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's devastating. I mean, um, that that can have, you know, just, um, you know, fatal consequences. And, uh, you know, somewhat combined with that, we had, was hygiene. You know, how, how did they appear? Uh, did they appear like they've been taken care of? And depressingly, um, overwhelming response was no. Um, my mom or my, you know, my mom or my uh, father, um, it looked like their hair hadn't been washed in months. They had long nails. Um, they weren't wearing their own clothes. They were wearing someone else's clothes. Um, you know, these real, these, these issues that are really about um, treating someone as, as a human being. You know, um, allowing them to be clean and um, uh, to be taken care of. So um, that was really shocking to us. I and mean, unfortunately, we suspected it, but we didn't expect it, it to be as um, really as bad as we thought. I and mean, one woman reported that her um, mother's dentures hadn't been washed in seven months. You know, right. teeth had turned brown. Um, and that's just really horrific, horrific um, kind of care, um, obviously probably abuse um, in, in many ways. So mm -hmm. um, 
those are really what we saw when we when we talked about physical decline. Um, when it came to, to mental um, mental issues, again, it, the numbers were even higher. Nine out of ten respondents said they saw a significant decline in um, their their loved one's demeanor, and that ranged from anything to um, uh, loved ones saying, "I why am I in this prison? Why have you left me here? I don't want to go on. I want to die." Um, uh, to just not even recognizing their loved ones anymore, um, sometimes seeming as if they were even um, medicated. Um, and uh, going from someone who was vibrant and engaging to someone who uh, would not even um, really talk to, to their families. So really shocking for families um, and obviously terrible for, for residents. Uh -huh. um, and uh, so, you know, that was an overwhelmingly the, the response. And it, it was just devastatingly sad when to hear that um, folks really felt they were being imprisoned and abandoned and were really feeling the effects of that isolation, which we all know is devastating for our nursing home residents. Right. And certainly, you know, I think that um, was, you know, something else that spurred us on with wanting to even get this information was, you know, we knew to some extent, because there's been a lot of research and literature that has been done on the effects of isolation on people. And so um, knowing that that was out there and, and what the impact um, would be for, um, for the residents who um, just widespreadly across the country were experiencing this isolation uh, was really concerning to us. So um, yeah. go ahead, Sam. I mean, one other thing to point out, I mean, consistently since really since June, and we don't know before that, but we imagine it's true as well. One out of almost one out of five facilities have been reporting inadequate numbers of aides um, and nursing staff, um, you know, and that's that that means, you know, tens and tens of thousands of residents are residing in facilities that don't have the ability to take care of them. Um, so, I mean, it, it just seemed like inevitably we were going to see these types of um, decline and um, this type of um, just maltreatment. And this is inevitable, especially when we were seeing just such um, large um, numbers of uh, facilities being short staffed. Right. And, you know, to be um, you know, to be clear about this, I mean, nursing homes are required to have enough staff to provide care for the people that are in their charge that they are taking care of. Um, and, you know, and when family members are in there and with their loved ones, we know that they help out a lot. Um, I've, you know, had loved ones that lived in nursing homes and when I would go and visit them, I would help with, with some of the personal hygiene. I would help with some of the feeding um, that needed to take place. I would help, you know, wheel them around and help them get them to activities and um, help them get dressed or changed. You know, so there, there are a lot of things that families do to help support their loved one, which actually helps benefit the staff um, too. Right, right. You know, so that's that's definitely one thing. And and you know, we we really recognize that the staff um, were tremendously burdened during this time, um, where they also were um, dealing with the impact of COVID on their own personal lives, with you know needing to take care of family members and children who weren't able to go to school or who weren't able to. Uh, there weren't daycare centers available for them, or they also had personal responsibilities. Um, so, and many of them also got sick with COVID um, and weren't able to work. Um, and so there are 
a lot of factors that have gone into the short staffing um, in a, not only through COVID, but you know, the historical problems we've seen with staffing. And we've also recognized that, um, that family members um, provide tremendous support um, to the residents in, in the long-term care facilities and you know, really do want to acknowledge that. I think the other thing is um, when we got, you know, as we were hearing the anecdotal reports from family members, from residents themselves, from ombudsmen about what was happening, and we decided then to do the survey, um, we got responses to the survey from all over the country. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we heard um, really from every, almost every state, I think. Um, and um, unfortunately, it was almost a uniform response um, across from people respond from from the people responding is that, um, you know, their their loved ones were declining. Um, I mean, one person we heard from um, was a woman named Annette Keener. Um, Annette is, resides in uh, Brooklyn. And her husband, who's named Daniel, um, is uh, resides in a, a veterans home in the Bronx, um, and has been there for a few years. And Annette had responded, and I was just blown away by her story. But also, it, was, it just echoed really all the other stories we've been hearing. I mean, Annette, prior to the pandemic, Annette drove two hours each way from um, Brooklyn to the Bronx to spend. Um, the whole day with her husband, Daniel. Daniel is a veteran. He served um, for four years as a Marine. Um, and during his service, he um, unfortunately um, was exposed to chemicals, which likely led to him getting Parkinson's. So Annette was involved in his care. Um, and so we reached out to Annette and um, I think we'd like to hear from her because she just she's kind of emblematic of, of what people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. So, um, Sam, I know you have um, queued up uh, some clips of your conversation with Annette recently. Um, so can you maybe share the first clip so we can share that sure. with our audience? I'd be happy to. In this first clip, Annette talks about, you know, really how involved she was and what she was doing prior to the pandemic. Okay. To the pandemic, other than the two days a week that I babysit for two of our grandsons, I was with him for five days a week from right after breakfast until after dinner. I was part of his, uh, I was hands-on part of his care every day. And I think that that's pretty emblematic, as you said, um, about so many family members is they are, um, you know, despite the fact that we know that many residents um, do not get daily visitors, um, there are many that do. And so, um, so, Annette is emblematic of many family members who have spent a lot of time in the facilities with their with their loved ones. Yeah, and I think you hit on the I mean, workers, facility, workers and facilities were really left in an impossible position. Some argue they were in impossible positions prior to the pandemic, but oftentimes homes relied on folks like Annette. Annette was providing care that in many instances the facility should have provided, and that allowed facilities to focus um, on other residents that may not have that support. And when you lock the facility down on March 13th, in essence, you're losing a lot of your staff, your unpaid staff, who's really going to give the highest quality of care because love is involved. And, um, you know, Annette, uh, we'll hear more from her, but she's just seen a precipitous decline in her husband really since, uh, since facilities have been locked down, which is foreseeable and um, troubling. 
Right. So let's go through um, some of the, because uh, we're going to hear more from Annette um, from your conversation with her as we talk. And so um, we, we've mentioned several of the things that um, we've heard from um, the, from the family members and what their findings were along the way. So coming back again, let's talk about some of the physical decline that we've heard from um, family members. So weight loss was one significant amounts of weight loss. Um, and frankly, you know, some of the things that you talked about with respect to lost dentures, for example, or not having be not getting proper mouth care, you know, certainly um, is another factor in, that would um, impact a person's ability to eat um, in addition to maybe not getting the support they need. Sure. I mean, in addition to, to, to the, um, you know, the loss of weight and the pressure source, you're seeing um, instances of, you know, skin being um, uh, degraded um, and um, back pain and loss of ability to use hands even to operate a, um, a remote to, to watch TV. Um, and as you said, um, one of the questions we did ask as well that I think intertwines is, you know, were you missing personal objects? And almost half of, 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 of the uh, family members responded, yes, such as dentures and hearing aids. So when you don't have your dentures and you don't have your hearing aids and you don't have, um, you know, the tools necessary just to survive or your glasses, um, it's going to affect your whole quality of life. It's going to obviously make you feel, affect your ability to eat, but it's also really going to affect your mood. I mean, imagine um, these folks, very dehumanizing not to have your, your uh, nails cut or your hair washed or not, not to have your clothes changed or your room cleaned. And um, I think that goes part and parcel with really what we heard from the physical decline and just how folks in these, these months just, just lost any progress they had made and just really acutely um, uh, suffered uh, decline. Right. And if the staff aren't able to go in and um, help people with be, help feed people who um, need assistance with eating, um, if they're not going in and turning them on a regular basis, that can lead to the pressure ulcers that you talked about. If they're not getting the therapy um, that they need, that can lead to the contractures that we were hearing about from people. Um, so I know you had um, queued up a clip from Annette about some of the physical um, things that she saw when she went back in. Could you let's, share let's, that? Let's, sure, let's hear, let's hear from Annette again. Obviously in distress. Can you imagine a 44 pound weight loss on a grown man? He was, one, he was 218 when I left there in March and he's now 174 pounds. That's tremendous. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm, that, only way to describe that is is just um, devastating, and um, I mean, and unfortunately for Annette, she's watched it. You know, she's had to observe her husband, um, uh, you know, through through video conference, lose um, forty pounds and just feel helpless about it, and she can't offer any help. They won't include her in the care, and um, it, 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 that's just really what we heard from most respondents. It's, it's this type of um, physical decline, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, I, I think that when we've heard about the significant weight loss, 
um, and some of the other effects that people have been experiencing. I mean, certainly, you know, we know that there were issues and, um, and that some people were not getting the support they needed to eat. But, but we also were hearing that some people, you know, as you had mentioned before, were very depressed and um, had lost the will to live and um, also were were not wanting to eat the way they were before. They they really had given up, and um, and so um, I, I think the mental impact has been just as strong as the physical um, decline that people have been seeing. So, can you talk a little bit about what um, a little bit more about what we were hearing about some of the mental um, impact and the psychosocial impact on people? Certainly, um, I think. It, you know, the, the overall response that um, we got was um, people, say, with pre-existing um, conditions such as dementia or Alzheimer's, um, who uh, the, the symptoms they were experiencing were just exacerbated. Um, um, and what we found was is that family members were really so important in um, essential to helping um, individuals with these types of pre-existing conditions to, to maintain stability. Um, and going in every day and seeing your loved one helps them um, uh, uh, orient themselves to where they are. And then suddenly this is all removed and um, there's no one coming in. You're left alone. And what you find is, is what we saw with those folks is that they stopped to eat because they needed assistance eating. And the way they ate was in a certain routine that the family members um, had adopted. So um, with that became not only your, your families are reunited with folks who um, don't recognize them, but are also to say, I want to die. Mm. This is no way to live. I mean, wh why am I in prison? Um, and um, that just really shows how devastating this isolation has been. And, um, how confusing and uh, really um, <laughs> terrible um, the effects have been on, on a lot of these residents. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, you know the the residents that were cognitively aware of what was happening around them. I mean, they had their own fears about getting mm -hmm. COVID, about getting sick, about the people taking care of them. Um, and we did hear from many of them that they felt yeah. like they were in prison. Um, that was a common theme, or has been a common theme, that we've been hearing from the residents that we've been talking to directly um, throughout this this whole time frame. Um, but for those who may have different levels of cognitive impairment, they also suffered in different ways because they didn't always understand why their family yeah. members weren't coming. And um, so it, this is something I know Annette is going to be talking about in, um, in one of the clips that you have as well, yeah. right, Sam? Yes, right. Now, this is one of the more devastating clips when she describes... Um, really the impact it had on her husband, um, and I'll bring it up. Mm -hmm. At one point he told um, one of the recreation staff during our chat, oh, uh, don't pay attention. She divorced me. She's married to someone else now. It's, um, he's so confused. Um, and that's so hurtful to me to think that my husband thinks I abandoned him. It couldn't be further from the truth. You know, my husband is one of five siblings and at the end his mother was in a nursing home and he went to see her every single week 
at all the years she was in. This is not a man that anybody would just abandon. He never abandoned anyone in his family and I could never abandon him. That's devastating. I mean, not only you can hear the pain in her voice, but you can imagine the pain that her husband has been feeling, not mm-hmm. understanding why she wasn't there for him. Right. And that's his reality. His reality is that he's been locked in a room um, for months without really anyone telling him and has not seen his wife, who he was married to for 45 years. I mean, one thing I kept saying is that this is not how we imagined our lives would be. You know, this is not how they imagined um, their retirement would be. Um, and uh, trying to place yourself in that position, it's hard. But um, when you see in that space, I mean, imagine not being able to care for your loved one or your son or your mother um, and thinking, knowing that they think you've abandoned them. Um, and just this, just the effect um, emotionally on both parties um, is just really incomprehensible and um, uh, hard to even uh, hard to even describe. Yeah, absolutely. Very difficult. And, you know, because of um, some of because of the isolation, um, all residents, both those that um, are have their cognitions and those who have um, some cognitive impairments, we saw across the board people withdrawing into themselves um, becoming more withdrawn, more secluded, um, giving up the will to live um, because they they were so isolated and, and needed the supports of their family members. Yeah, I mean, imagine how you would do um, if you were in a room, locked in a room by yourself, you, your hearing aids are lost, your eyeglasses are lost. Um, so you can't see, you can't hear, um, you, you, know, you can't distract yourself with television. You just sit there all day. Um, I mean, you, 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 you can see why they would call it prison. Um, yeah. And you can see why these negative physical, how it's going to be a holistic just decline. Um, why would you continue to function um, if you can't even leave your room, if you can't be with your loved ones? Um, so it's, you know, it's been hidden from us. Um, I mean, we know about it because we do this every day and family members know about it, but it's been hidden from the public. Uh, these folks have been locked away and suffering. Um, and it's only now that we're hearing that they're being reunited that we're really hearing just how awful and um, uh, as I kept saying over and over again, devastating this whole mm-hmm. this whole lockdown has been. Yeah, you know, it's um, I mean, we've we tried so hard, I think, um, to protect the residents from COVID. And that's what the lockdown was intended to do was to prevent, you know, try to protect them from the spread of the virus and the disease. Because what we know is that not only was it spreading very quickly through nursing homes, but um, it's very deadly for this population. You know, we at this point when we're recording this podcast, more than 170,000 residents and staff members have died from COVID. Um, it's, it's just been devastating. Um, but I think no one really recognized the devastating effects that the isolation was going to have sure. On, sure. Um, on the residents themselves. And, and frankly, no one thought that we'd be in this situation a year later. Who thought that we, I mean, I think when the lockdown initially happened, maybe we thought it would be for a couple of weeks and, and life would be back to normal. But here we are a year later. And, you know, and we've seen studies now um, from various places that show that facilities who um, had better staffing 
perform better. Right. Um, and that's directly connected to the visitation ban as well. That's right. Um, you know, if we had safely allowed family, families to come in and supplement that care, um, it's, it, it, you would only think that um, some of these outcomes would have been better because when facilities are short staffed, you just can't provide proper care. Um, and um, so it's all tied together. And of course we wanted that ban initially, um, but as time went on, the question is, which has been more, um, which is going to be more harmful now um, uh, after a year of this. Right. Absolutely. Uh, one of the medical directors that we've talked to recently had told me in a conversation that he's had uh, more of his patients die from isolation and the effects of that than from COVID directly, which I think just again shows how devastating it can be. And um, I know a study that we've, um, a, a news report that we had recently seen, and this was when last year in uh, the summer, September, sometime showed there were an an, an excess of 40 plus thousand 40, deaths. 40,000, yeah. Right. And that um, was in November. And, you know, and one thing I have done and I showed to you is looking at the data from the CMS and CDC and plotting the, the death rates um, from COVID and not from COVID. And they both rise together. Um, so what that means is people, when people are dying in a large amount um, from COVID, they're also dying from other reasons as well. Right. And what that kind of tells you is that once COVID is in a facility and you don't have enough staff, it's chaos. And not only is it killing residents um, from COVID, it's also killing residents from neglect. Um, right. So you see them track each other. Um, and I mean, if that doesn't call for a, a change um, and, and, and doesn't really highlight how um, horrible the, the, the lockdowns have been on, on residents and families, um, I'm not sure what else. Yeah. So let's hear another clip from Annette um, of what um, she's been seeing the impact and what the effect has been for not being able to um, see her husband. Sure. Um, I mean, one thing that Annette talked about and I had asked her about was um, how, you know, communicating with him because the idea that, okay, well, we have, you know, it's the 21st century, we have um, uh, electronic communication, that should, that should be enough. But Annette here in this clip really describes how um, that didn't work for her and it didn't work um, for a husband. Have they been offering you opportunities for, um, uh, for vi electronic visitation? Say for instance, like iPads or FaceTime? Yes, or they do, but he doesn't respond. He just stares up at the ceiling and he'll talk to who's ever standing next to him and say, Oh, that's a, a movie of my wife, or um, he doesn't understand that it's does he need assist? Does he need assistance in operating those? He can't operate it. No. Someone has so to. There's always, he doesn't so there's have always someone there. Yes, so there's always someone there, there listening to you. Always. When you're, always. Even in the visits, there's always someone there. I, my husband and I haven't had five minutes to have a private conversation in 11 months. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that that's so hard to, uh, you know, when you're trying to, you know, have that conversation, you know, the way we are right now, I and mean, we're in different locations and have this conversation, right. but, and, and it worked for many residents. I mean, let's, you know, let's acknowledge the fact that it did work um, for many residents having the televisitation where they were talking over using tablets, using 
electronic means, but for many, many people, particularly residents with dementia, it has not worked. And, right. and it frankly is no substitute for in-person um, visits for those who need them. Right, how can she, I mean, what really struck me about that was at the end, that she hasn't had five minutes alone with him. How can they be genuine with each other? How can he, she ask him how they're treating how they're treating him with someone there, fearing that there could be repercussions for that. I mean, mm -hmm. prior to the pandemic, the best advocates were family members. They're going in every day and they're seeing how folks are and they're saying, hey, you can't treat my loved one this way. But right. now there's, there's, not that, there's not that opportunity for intimacy, for privacy. And um, it really, the moments you do have are degraded and they're, pro, you know, they're, they're, they're superficial. And as Annette said, confusing. Um, um, and, um, you know, what we often heard was, I mean, we heard devastating stories about um, staff using their phone to call loved ones and say, your, your husband's dying. Um, uh, right. Do you want to say something to him? And using their own phone, right? right. And it, sometimes it would be a false alarm. Right. And they have to go through it over and over again. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't think people understand how, how awful that is and how common it was, certainly to help some folks. Um, but it didn't work for a lot of people. And if it, you know, the largest population of folks it's not going to work for are people with cognitive, you know, cognitive problems. Um, right. And where are you going to find those folks? Nursing homes. So that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's hear another clip from Annette, um, where she uh, talked about um, again the um, the effect for her and her husband on not being able sure. to be there. Sure. And we we all try to support each other, but I'm watching my husband die a little bit every day. And he doesn't even know that. And if something happens to him, I'll never be able to recover from the fact that he thinks I've abandoned him. And he's, I feel like he's slipping away a little bit at a time every day. And can you imagine not even knowing that anybody cares about you? And you're just sitting there and they don't know why he's losing weight. Come on, really, people. And again, the, these are, you know, the story of Annette that we're highlighting today is um, really reflective of so many of the stories that we've heard from the from family members across the country um, about the impact that this has had on their loved ones. And, and the thing about it is, um, you, you know, certainly we're a year into this pandemic, um, and I think we would argue that it's time to reopen safely. Um, there are safe ways to allow family members um, back in to provide supports for their loved ones. And we really need to make that happen. And families want to help. Um, they they are devastated by what they're seeing from their loved ones, and they want to go back in and provide that support to them. Uh, I talked to a woman the other day. Um, she came out of retirement and began training. So she she could become a CNA just to see her mother. Um, and she, I mean, and she said, well, I don't know if that's a great story. And of course, coming out of retirement and, and training, going into a training program just so you can see your loved one, right. that's not normal. And um, I, I think um, no one understands more how important safety is and, than, than uh, family. They don't just want to open the doors and go in and um, they, they want to be, they want to go in and help and they want to follow um, protocols, infection control protocols. And, and uh, we talked about Annette 
uh, with it with Annette, you know, that she's she's offered. Um, and, um, you know, here's what she said about her willingness to to um, to, to go in and help. I don't my husband has a private room. If they would let me in to be with him, it would take the stress off of them for his care. It would take the heartache off of me. And, and I'm sure he would start gaining weight again. So if you, if they said, come in tomorrow, would you be willing to wear uh, PPE? Absolutely. My daughter said, told them that she would get me a hazmat suit. Her husband is a critical care paramedic. And he's licensed to be on helicopter rescue. She wasn't kidding. She could actually you, get that for me. So what about being tested? If they required you to be tested twice Absolutely. a week? Absolutely. I told them whatever the staff does, I would be willing to do. Just tell me what you need from me in order for me to be with him. And they say, there's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I have the vaccine. It doesn't matter if he has the vaccine. It doesn't matter what I tell them I'll do. They're not, they tell me that they, it, they don't make the rules. They are not allowed to let visitors in. Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting, and I think doubling, doubling the frustration for folks is that they haven't seen, I mean, they've seen the devastation in nursing homes. And they said, well, what's going on now isn't working. You know, I'm willing to come in and be, be treated as an employee and, um, to follow all the infection control protocols uh -huh. and help you, you know, um, and uh, I mean, it won't leave the total um, short staffing problem, but it will certainly help a little. And that's what's, and in some instances, facilities are, at, are trying to incorporate families into care, like saying, well, you have to take him, can you take him to these appointments or you have to take him out to this appointment, but at the same time saying, well, you can't come in. Right. So it's confusing. You know, and it's confusing. These policies are conflicting and it's frustrating because they want to care and they want to care. I mean, Annette has spent thousands of dollars trying to renovate her home to be able to let her husband come in. I mean, she needs she's invested thousands into taking out of her retirement and she's just not at that spot. He can't come home without assistance. Right. And um, so they want to go in and provide this care. Um, and um, it's frustrating for them. And I think it goes to what you're saying um, about, you know, needing to reconsider this ban and involve families in, in care. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, you know, if we, um, there, there should be protocols that are put into place. And frankly, there is a process for that. I mean, even the guidance that exists today, there is a process for that to allow people in with protective protocols that include screening before they even enter the facility. And with the availability of testing right now and rapid tests, um, people can be tested as they get on site. They'll have the results in 15 minutes and we'll, they'll know their COVID status with proper hand washing and sanitizing, with the wearing of masks, with social distancing, with proper screening there and, and proper protocols. There are ways to safely allow family members back in and that's where we need to um, where we need to get to. And that's what we have been advocating for um, yeah. with other partner groups around the country. Um, so as we're talking, you know, now we're about a year <clears throat> out from the from the um, from the ban, and um, we've put out a call to action um, to 
to CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to reevaluate their, their guidance and to effectively um, allow family members back in in a safe way to provide supports. And um, so we have um, several different activities coming up um, over uh, the next week um, that we're working on. We um, have a petition out right now that we're encouraging people to sign. Can you tell people a little bit about that? Sure, we created a petition um, and you can get, get to it on our website. It's a petition that will be going to the heads of CMS, to every member of Congress and probably to others, um, just laying out um, how devastating the, the impact has been on residents and calling um, for uh, a safe reopening um, uh, of facilities so families can go in and provide care and support um, or just support um, their loved ones. Absolutely. We're hoping to get to 25,000 signatures. We're, um, we're, we're at 15,000 now. We're at more great. than 15,000. So we hope that listeners will share information about that. And um, our website is www.theconsumervoice.org, um, where you can get information about things that we're talking about today and also um, get a link to the petition that you can sign. Um, we've also created a set of recommendations um, to CMS where where we offer suggestions for how they can safely reopen. That includes um, not only doing proper screening, putting protocols in place, but allowing every resident to, to designate an essential care person to be with them to provide um, additional supports. And so we are um, we are promoting that. And um, next week on March 12th um, at noon Eastern time, we are hosting a rally to um, where we are calling publicly to reopen uh, nursing home doors in a safe and measurable way um, to allow family members to in to provide supports to their loved ones. So there are a number of things coming over this next week from the Consumer Voice. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. I just want to point one thing out. I mean, if you look at the numbers now um, of cases and deaths from COVID and facilities, it's steep decline, precipitous mm -hmm. drop, and that's a lot to do with vaccine. Um, but each day that that goes down, the risk of harm from isolation goes up um, and it's probably surpassed now um, significantly, maybe, maybe even um, who knows how long ago, um, the risk from harm from isolation. So we have to have that, you know, that total um, re-examination um, to, to address the real harm now that is going to be isolation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, not only, you know, is a year too long for family members to be separated, but the vaccines that have been put into place and, and the, the majority of nursing home residents have been vaccinated at this point already. They were um, in the first priority list in states. Um, that really has been a game changer, um, as you've mentioned, in, in, terms of, um, in terms of the spread of the virus and the protection of, of the residents from from COVID. It's not, um, it's not the end all and be all. It's not the only answer. So we still have to encourage the protections be put into place, wearing masks and still following infection control protocols, even for people who have been vaccinated, whether, you know, for both for both parties, family members and residents who've been vaccinated. But it has been an important step forward um, in terms of, um, I think, being time to reconsider what visitation looks like in long-term care facilities, yeah.
So, so, um, so go to our website at www.theconsumervoice.org um, for more information about the things that we're talking about today. You can find the report on our website, um, the signing uh, up for the petition um, on the website and information about registering for the virtual rally on um, Friday, March 12th. Um, you can get more information there as well. Um, I think we're going to close with a clip from Annette. Is that right, Sam? Yeah, I, Annette's um, going to share just a story of what recently happened to her. And I think really summarizes, and as I said earlier, encapsulates really what's going on for family members. And I think um, letting her have the last word is also letting families have the last word and residents have the last word and really where we are in this issue. So um, here's more from Annette. And I they just recently um, sent home his wedding ring because he lost so much weight. It was falling off his finger and he was playing with it and they were afraid it would get lost. So he doesn't even have that. He always holds his wedding ring when, when he's sitting in his chair. I think it's his connection to me. Now even that's gone. He doesn't have it on his finger anymore. And I'm sure it's, you lost 44 pounds, you, your, your fingers would be so thin. Um, it's, I just see him slipping away from me and I'm terrified that I'm. Well, that is devastating, um, again, to see the effect on Annette, um, the effect on her husband, and so many residents and family members have been experiencing this across the country. So um, thanks for joining the podcast today, Sam, and for talking about this. I think it's definitely been an important topic, and we want families to know that there um, are things that they can do to continue to raise awareness about this issue, to contact their legislators. That's part of what we are going to be asking people to do during the rally, um, the virtual rally that we hold on March 12th. So go to our website again at www.theconsumervoice.org for more information and for some action steps on what you can do to um, advocate for reopening nursing homes in a safe way. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information about the campaign. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you.